Welcome to the wonderful world of dance, bringing you exclusive interviews with top dancers and choreographers and reviews of the world's best companies across the globe. You can find lots more on our website at thewonderfulworldofdance.com. Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful World of Dance, and I'm thrilled to introduce Charlotte Derbyshire, who is the co-artistic director of Kanduko Dance Company, a contemporary dance company of disabled and non-disabled dancers. The company is presenting work across the UK, and we've just reviewed their double bill show at, at London Saddlers Wells, which our wonderful reviewer, Francesca Marotto, said it celebrates the power of diversity. Charlotte is not only artistic director, but she's also a choreographer, performer, dance lecturer, director, and also runs another company in France where she's based and from where she's joining us. Hi, Charlotte. Thank you for joining us so late on uh, evening and you're in France and I'm in London. Great. Lovely to meet you. So tell us about um, how you became a founding member of Kanduko Dance Company. Um, you've been with the company now for 10 years, so I'm really interested to learn about your own dance journey. So before we talk about the company, let's go right back to the beginning and talk about um, how you actually started dancing and when you started dancing in the very first place. Okay. Well, like a lot of uh, young white middle-class British girls, <laughs> Um, I did, I danced, you know, from a small child. I guess what was a little different was um, my grandparents actually founded one of the first um, school, residential schools for disabled children in the country called McIntyre Homes. And that organisation is celebrating its 50th year, I think, this year. Fantastic. And so I was born there and lived there as a small child. Um, so actually I've been involved in working in, um, with disabled and non-disabled people for as long as I've been dancing. Um, so when, when I was at high school in the, you know, I went to dance club. Yeah. I also ran my own dance club for disabled adults. Wow. Um, and so, and the same at college when I was at Northern School of Contemporary Dance, um, our, I think she was called assistant director at the time. Um, Alison Beckett was her name, a very inspirational ballet teacher. She had a disabled son and ran a, um, a youth group for disabled young people. And so um, I used to teach that once a week as well, teach movement there once a week. So when Kanduko um, came about, so basically it was a, it began, I think, as just an exploratory movement class between Celeste Andica Arnold, who was a dancer with London Contemporary Dance Theatre. Oh gosh, I get my name right. London Contemporary Dance Theatre Company. Oh gosh, you'll have to check that for me. <laughs> well, you know, it's a long time ago, so it can be forgiven yeah. for not remembering the finer details. Yeah, she danced with them in the early 70s and yeah. um, she had an accident on stage and became disabled. Wow. And uh, she did think at that stage that her dance career would, was over. And indeed it was for a few, you know, for, for years. And then when she, she met up with a visual artist um, and performer, Adam Benjamin, who I think they met at the, at the Spinal Injury Centre in Middlesex up at Stanmore and started a, a weekly movement class. And very quickly they came to do a residency at Yorkshire Dance Centre. And I went along as a student. And we were invited to perform that work at South Bank at the Ballroom Blitz that summer. And there was a huge response from the audience and from the festival. And so we were invited to launch Kanduko. So I performed with them and um, my dearest friends for the first seven years of the company. And, and then went on to have my own independent dance career, um, performing with various companies and making my own work for theatre and film mainly, and, uh, and teaching. 
But I have to say that, you know, dancing with Kanduka at the very beginning of my career and at the beginning of their, you know, the beginning of their journey was just an exhilarating and, well, I, it, it influenced everything that's followed. So it, it sort of set a bar for me in terms of best practice and in terms of, um, you know, creating an environment that I want to live and work in. They were one that's diverse and creative, inclusive. So since then, whether I'm teaching in, like I taught as a lecturer for at Trinity Laban for 10 years and then London Contemporary Dance School. So whether I'm in a mainstream train, you know, training institution or working with landmine victims in Colombia, for example, which is wow. I've been um, working on for a number of years. It's, it's the, you know, my approach is the same. I'm listening and I'm learning and I'm in relationship to whoever's in the room. And that's how I still love doing what I'm doing. I have to say, um, in that very short amount of time, you have just described this extraordinary journey mm-hmm. and an extraordinary creative, professional um, and inspiring life, which, as you say, mm-hmm. is one which you find really fulfilling. Mm-hmm. I just would like to unpack some of that because it's just... Well, it's, <laughs> there's so much within that one minute, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but going sort of back for when when you were you know as you're saying you were all you were born into this environment where um, there were disabled and non disabled people and then dancers and clearly you're very entrepreneurial you've got your own you know dance club and and then you have gal- uh, galvanized with other artists who um, share have gone on to share this journey with you mm. it. As you say, it has influenced everything that you have done. But as a young, as a young dancer, forming your own practice and your, as a choreographer, forming your own language, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know how that has shaped. Um, and it probably sounds so obvious, but I'd like to sort of hear how you, you sort of decided well actually I'm going to make this my single focus of the practice and the the work that I do going forward yeah um it's a funny one because it's become so part of who I am and what I do um I think the environment that we grow up in is very influential whether we like it or not and it was you know, natural for me to be in a, what was then called a kind of integrated environment, but certainly an environment that was made up of difference and celebrated those differences, or at least in those days accepted Mm. differences. Um, And then I I come from a family of artists as well. My mum's a painter, my brother's a sculptor. And so... I was fortunate to have a kind of creative environment. And I think dancing was something that, well, it was obviously my chosen art form. Um, but also, I, when I went into full-time training to become a professional dancer, I think, if I'm honest, I really struggled with that needing to, with, with some of the more traditional um, approaches to dance and some of the, you know, traditional aesthetics and some of the more classical languages, I really appreciate that I've done them because they gave me more choices and, you know, I learned from each of the different physical languages in that traditional training. But I really was on a quest to find, as all artists are, to find my you know, my own voice through my moving. And there was something about working in an environment where, you know, everybody's bodies and background and perspective was different, where we could almost, you know, create it from scratch. It was like um, we weren't trying to replicate anything. 
Mm. We were trying to find a way to move together that excited us, that challenged us, um, that that reflected our relationship and where we were at at that time. So this was very liberating for me and inspiring. And, and it became a place where I could incorporate all of the skills and experience that I'd gained in the dance training, but woke up something new, which became about being in relationship to somebody else, different from me, which of course we all are, but it just highlighted it highlighted it and it, it stimulated something in me and and highlighted that you know all dances about relationship really whether it's mm -hmm. to the environment you're in the music time passing your audience your relationship to your own body and i think working in an inclusive environment has kept that very conscious for me it's almost like it it enables me to return to the the kind of essentials of why I did it in the first place and what it is. I think that's what it continually yeah. teaches me is to sort of strip it back and and working with um, different dancers of different experiences and backgrounds also it, it, it maintains a kind of human element which I really need in my dancing you know I don't want it to be personally you know I think there's value in all kinds of dancing but for me you know I want it to reflect the whole of me yeah um, I want it to I, when I'm dancing with somebody I want to see who they are you know yeah their perspective on things their psychology their you know, how they feel about stuff. And, and there's something about working in this environment that, that gives space to all of that. I, I, you know, I feel very fortunate to, to work in, in that way. Did you imagine or have any sense, um, as you say, when you w were first invited down to the South Bank and you had this really positive uh, response um, you know, this was so many years ago now for you, but did you have any sense of uh, what you are potentially creating in terms of the longevity and the importance and the um, discussion and the narrative um, and the questions that Kanduko yeah. poses to the audience and to the dance industry itself? I think yes and no. I mean, I knew, I think we all knew straight away that something, it's not only exciting, but something significant. Yeah. You know, a lot of us were in that environment, in that room for the first time. I remember in the workshop as well, up at the Yorkshire Dance Centre, was a very well-known dancer now called David Toole, who was also a founder member of Kanduko. Um, and is now dancing with another inclusive company called Stopgap. Yeah. And at the time, he was a postman, and his mates had dared him to come to the workshop because he was a, a natural performer. They called wow. him an exhibitionist, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they dared him to come along because he loved singing and dancing. Um, you know, and I remember sitting in the circle next to him and catching his eye and thinking, wow, this, this, is, this is new. This is unknown territory <laughs> for all of us, you know. And so it, it felt like a genuine, it was a genuine discovery. Yeah. It was, it was exhilarating. And then we made a piece that week, which we were just all totally excited by and engaged by. And we performed it for the students at Northern School of Contemporary Dance at the end of that week. And there was an absolute standing ovation. And uh, I was in my first year at the time. And so I was, you know, astonished and delighted by this. And it was on the back of that we got invited to do it at South Bank. And then we met, were met with the same reception then. And, it, it, you know, it was a bit of a whirlwind. It, it, you know, 
I don't think any of us could have predicted the path ahead mm. in social, political impact. Um, but we knew we were doing something yeah. new and exciting and important. And, and wherever we went, it, it had a kind of, you know, there was an energy about it that was contagious. When we taught workshops, things took off. People came out of the woodwork. People discovered things about themselves and each other that they didn't know and we were doing the same and uh, it generated an energy that began to slowly have an impact I think on the dance world and, and is still doing that. Yeah ab absolutely and I think um, perhaps for audiences as well um, it, when you were talking it, it just gave me a sense of this wonderful the wonderful kindness and humanity really uh, in terms of audiences response and the um the inclusiveness and the embracing of of difference and of that diversity and as it's gone over the years to be more and more celebrated and but also then to become just more normal as well which i think is um quite a a, a great outcome where actually it's not completely different or it's, it's now embedded within the fabric of the, the dance world, which yeah. I think is really important. Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly not new no. anymore as a concept. Um, and, and the Paralympics have shifted that and yeah. activists and artists across lots of different art forms have shifted that. Um, but I also think it's because right from the start, because Celeste... Um, had been a professional dancer. She was very, very clear that it was about the quality of the dancing. Yeah. Really clear. And that we should commission, you know, the leading choreographic voices at the time. So I think our first works were by Siobhan Davis and Emlyn Clade, who were leading in the early 90s and still important figures yeah. today. And, you know... At that time, all the able-bodied dancers, as we were called then, <laughs> were professionally trained. Um, but it was quite unusual for Celeste to be a disabled artist and have a professional dance training and, and have worked professionally, you know, worked in the industry. Yeah. And for a while, there was a kind of gap of, ex of training and experience between the disabled and non-disabled. And now I think the reason Canduco's held its place is that they've been, you know, chipping away at access to education and training and professional artist development, you know, and different opportunities. And so now, you know, the dancers that we've got in the company are, they're all trained, whether yeah. they're old or not. And they're all highly skilled Um very competent, uh, courageous performers, which means that we can still keep pushing away at the develop at the, at the yeah the development of yeah. the art form. Yeah, I think that's why it's held its place. That it's it is about humanity, it is about acceptance, it is about diversity, but it's not just a solution. You know, it's about um, dance as, as an art form yeah we push those we push and develop that and dance for all as well yeah certainly I mean yeah. with good it, training <laughs> well dance for all for sure I mean our learning program you know Kanduko has always had learning at its heart you know both for those in the company and and for the participatory stuff and that certainly advocates dance for all. But I also think that what we demonstrate on the main stage is, um, at the moment anyway, in the current model, is, is for you know, highly skilled, talented dancers, yeah. disabled and non-disabled. And yeah. so it's the access to training and opportunity that we need to fight for so that more people can access that at that level. Yeah. 
um, but the kind of community spirit is not yet fully represented on the main stage. Um, it depends. I mean, we just took Jerome Bell's award-winning piece, The Show Must Go On, to Paris for three weeks. And there, you know, there was an extended cast there. I think the age range was from 20 to mid-60s, possibly. Wow. Oh, actually, no, I think it was 70, actually. Yes. <laughs> and so there, you know, you've... Um, I mean, that was a really exceptional piece. So there you've got real diversity in terms of yeah. opportunity and background. And yet the, the quality of the work was totally uncompromising. But that was the skill of the choreographic concept, you know, of Jerome's. Um, it's interesting um, because the, the things which I picked up there actually, interestingly, when uh, Francesca, our reviewer, went to see the double bill at Sadler's Wiles, um, she talked about how, in her review, the connection between all of the dancers, but yeah. also also their, uh, the fact that they were highly skilled um, yeah. as dance artists as, as well. So I think what you're talking about in the trying to you know, maintain and get across is actually coming across to the audience. Yeah, um, thank you. Which is, which is wonderful. Um, and you mentioned there about providing access to training and you've got highly skilled dancers and there's um, quite a, uh, seems like an up and coming and you know, rich pool of, of talent to choose from. Mm. As an artistic director, how do you choose the artists to join your company? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think we, so far, we've all come through very different routes. There's no one way, there's no one route. Um, and certainly, as a company, we're thinking a lot about the route for the future um, artists, you know, that how can we provide provision, for example, for young children in pr at primary level? Mm. And then at the moment in the UK, there is, as you know, a kind of a really uh, strong um, youth program, you know, with the CAT scheme and with various youth companies. There's loads of opportunities for young people. And then there seems to be a little gap for disabled people between that kind of the youth, you know, the kind mm. of hobby type training and then those that can access higher education. So there's a gap that we want to address and provide provision for, particularly for disabled dancers. And then there's the whole accessing higher education. And then at the end, how you then access the company and other companies, yeah. you know, the industry. And that again is an area that we want to particularly prioritize because it's still, it's still an issue. You know, a lot of, if you do make it through higher education as a disabled artist, how then do you get to work in the sector? You know, a lot of yeah. disabled artists come to us. They don't necessarily, you know, there's not a big representation of disabled artists mm. across other companies, although it's beginning to change. You know. So in terms of how we um, choose our dancers we we scan the world okay the current dancers ones from we you know invited to audition from america another from brazil um we have a whole network of disabled artists that we're following providing training opportunities for inviting to join us when we can yeah uh, and we're also aware that there's a whole um blossoming community of disabled artists that that we don't know yet mm. or that we could learn from so you know we're not we're not the only ones anymore which is brilliant yeah um but is, I, this a, is this about the next generation or is this um in terms of the artists or just an emerging voice that's now coming within this sort of disabled dance art community or well, I think it's lots of things. I mean, I think we live in a world where everybody is beginning to appreciate the difference enriches 
our lives. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, and we're in a political context that is frighteningly narrow at times, and yeah. there's a lot of fear of difference um, yeah. in the media. So I think young people and artists are, are wanting to um, explore and develop this territory. So, you know, I know many of my students at Laban and London Contemporary, you know, Kanduko is a very attractive company for them. Mm. You know, they, it's a company where, you know, one feels like they can be challenged and stretched and, um, well, can belong, I guess. Yeah. Where there's, there's room. But also in a professional context where as dance artists, they would also feel like they've arrived as well. Perhaps. Well, certainly you would get to tour the world. Yeah. Teach at all sorts of levels, you know, right from primary schools, community level to professional level class. Um, and you get to work with, you know, incredible array of choreographers because it's a repertory company, which yeah. there aren't so many of anymore. So, yeah, I think it's a very attractive company to work for. Um, but I'm also aware that, you know, when I when we started over 25 years ago, there weren't many other companies like us. But now, even though I hope we're still, you know, at the forefront of this um, practice, I do. I'm aware of there are many companies like us now all over the world, many of which came out of workshops with Kanduko. Yeah, I mean, not all. That would be yeah. arrogant to say that. But, you know, I've been aware of, you know, for example, the work we did in Colombia. Now, uh, a company called Concorpos has come out of the education and participatory project that a friend and I did there um, several years ago. And that's the case in many countries, certainly across Europe. There's certainly nothing wrong with being trailblazing, and we are talking about 25 years ago, and that was quite a, a different time to what it is now yeah, um, when, it, when, we're, when we're talking about the subject matter, um, particularly not just within the dance world but in, in society in general. So mm. I, can, I can certainly see that it would be trailblazing, yeah. 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 I think the exciting or challenge now is that... Um, you know, Celeste was really, um, what's the word, pioneering in her desire to broaden and challenge perceptions of dance. Mm. And I think we still are committed to that. But I also think we need to broaden and challenge perceptions of disability now. You know, our understanding of disability is changing rapidly. And the current, the current company doesn't necessarily represent that diversity of, of, you know, ability and disability that we now have in society. So that's a, that's a challenge for the future, you know. That's yeah, that's um, that's quite a quite an interesting one. But it also shows that the company and the, all the artists and yourself are involved are still on a journey, and it is a journey of discovery. Um, and that there is still quite a lot of work to be done and being inspired by and inspiring emerging companies and emerging voices. And, you know, we've got the younger generation hot on our heels um, yes. in all elements, which is fantastic. And they've got, you know, social media nowadays where they're able to, to be able to test that voice and give that voice um, some air and, and get some support around it. So... It would be great to see more um, more of these either independent uh, artists or future disabled and non-disabled uh, dancers who look to join your company or others now getting some more airtime. It would be yes. yeah, it'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested. I'm interested in um, yourself as a choreographer. Uh, you've been creating for many years now. Mm. Um, how do you describe your own choreographic language? If you do have a, a particular language. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I have been making work throughout my career and more recently I've um, worked for Choreographer Camera more. Um, but 
The truth is, I don't perceive myself as a choreographer. Really? Yeah, it's funny. I have friends that are choreographers, and um, and I would even say that Ben Wright, my artistic co-director, um, is a choreographer and perceives himself as such. I interviewed him just the other day, actually. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I see myself more as a director and I haven't investigated this enough, so I'm a little self-conscious saying it publicly. But um, I, I haven't invested in the choreographic craft in the way that some of my peers really, really have. But I do think that I, you know, I have a lot of experience and I'm, I'm, I'm interested in people. And so what I think I do do is that I respond very directly um, and I hope sensitively to the people that I'm working with and any work that, you know, the choreography or the, you know, the shape that the work takes that comes out of that is always in response to the people in the room. So, of course, I could, I could call that choreography. That is choreography. Yeah. But I feel that it's more a sort of, I feel more comfortable in the role of director. And I think maybe that's why I've come to film more. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed with Ben and I, you know, even when we're writing a speech, for example, or, you know, he, he lays down the first, the first um, draft and then I completely tear it apart and reorganize it. <laughs> I wondered if that was the difference, you know, that as a choreographer, he's quite fine. He's quite happy and practiced at putting the first steps on the snow, if you like. Yeah. Whereas I like the room to be, you know, really full and charged and everything in there already. And then I'm really happy to organize it. To sort of to craft around yeah. the creative process that's going yeah. on in front of you. Yeah. I mean, it's subtle what I'm talking about, and it's a sort of quite a new thought, but I, having taught choreography at Laban for 10 years and facilitated a lot of artists' work as a dramaturg or mentor, I think I'm actually more skilled at that, at making my own work, which is interesting. It, yeah, that is, that is interesting. On a personal level, it's quite interesting for me because I'm really similar, in fact. Um, and actually, one, one of my questions was to ask you about the, the difference for you in terms of being a choreographer and a director because I was quite interested. And so I'm really glad we've come to that point because actually perhaps your creative process is your choreography. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it is interesting and it's all intertwined. And I also think it's very, you know, the, the practice that I have consistently done has been teaching. And so I think that's part of it as well. That's also about holding a space, um, nurturing potential, meeting individuals where they are, responding to, you know, offering questions as much as answers. So that, of course, feeds into my work my choreographic work but also gives me a sense of directing perhaps rather than yeah and also now I'm a movement therapist so that again is a different way of holding and drawing out so it's 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 an on it's an evolving artistic process you know and so what's the difference between uh, your direction that you do for films, um, and I note that you've um, you've done a couple of short films, and I saw that one was commissioned by Channel Four called Taught, which won New Filmmaker Award at the Place, um, and in two thousand and one, and you also worked on Alison Murray's feature film Mouth to Mouth on, in two thousand and five. Um, so. What was the role there in the direction rather than the choreography, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I made a film last year as well that just won an award at Light Moves Dance Festival in Limerick in Ireland. Fantastic. Um, and that was with two dear friends of mine who also um, were dancers with Kanduko um, and now are associate artists for the company. Um, 
what is the difference? <laughs> so tell me about the role as the director on the film then. Um, tell me about that experience, because that is quite different to creating work for stage or for a, mm. a venue with an audience. Yeah. Or is I, it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, certainly the way that I approach it isn't necessarily different. Okay. The way I work with people, I think, is the same in whatever context I'm in. I try to work with, you know, curiosity and generosity and... It's about exploration for all of us. But I think film allows a kind of intimacy. I think I, I've been, I think because of my, having worked in this field, or, you know, having been, having worked in this field for over 25 years, I really feel that I have witnessed and learnt um, something quite unique in a way. And, and, and it's, it's becoming less unique, which I'm very excited about. But there's something about the medium of film that allows you to get really close up and to really direct the gaze. I can hear them saying, do you mean you're controlling? <laughs> no, not at all. For me, I'm actually really interested in um, the gaze. Um, and yeah. I, I guess in, in relation to film, which is something else I love, because I'm often intrigued would be a word to use about the fate that the gaze of the, on the female and on yeah. the body, um, yeah. which is often a, a male gaze in the film industry, yeah, to a female gaze. So yeah, I'm always quite interested in that. Yes, exactly. And I think there's, um, you know, I think through our experience, you know, you learn the nuances and the psychology. You know, I'm very interested in stripping away and or giving visibility to the kind of psychological or emotional um, or perceptual um, reality of a particular relationship or a particular mode of performance. And I think film allows you to really get in there and make visible some stuff that sometimes is less visible. It's organizing things in space, perhaps, like a traditional choreography might be, but more about revealing the person in relation to a context. or And that, that excites me a lot. Um, and what was your the, the latest film that, that you just mentioned there that yeah. um, won an award? Yeah. Tell, me about, tell me about the film. What's this one about? It's called The Lily, the Rose, um, inspired by the opening soundtrack um, by Jules Maxwell. It's, I mean, actually, the, the performers themselves, it was their initiative. They, I've known them many years. I think they know and trust me as a friend and filmmaker. And they said, you know, they're making their own work. They're making a duet together and they tour it, but they have children and they don't want to be on the road all the time. And so they said they'd really like their next project to be a film. And would I um, capture something? So they offered me some starting points for material, which were, which were based on um, a kind of, I think they were initially inspired by Violet and Daisy Hilton, which were um, Siamese twins in the 30s in America. And they were pushed forward and actually, um, what's the word? What's the word? Sensationalized. Sensationalized and then the step further. <laughs> Exploited. <laughs> yeah, in the end, they were exploited, but they did have a very successful career as mm. dancers for a long time. Um, and there was something about their career that inspired these two artists in their choreographic development and something about the intimacy of their relationship because these artists are very close, they're best friends, they're like sisters, and they tour on the road together. And they both have a disability that I think brings them very close because they, there's, a, there's an empathy there mm. that I can, you know, assume or imagine, but I don't really share, you know. 
And so they asked me to make this film and they also gave me complete freedom or poetic license to do what I wanted with the material that they offered. And because I've known and loved them for many years, I, I pushed them a bit and I try to tread that edge where it was intimate and risky without it being too exposing. But I did expose, I think, a side of their relationship that they hadn't made public yet. Interesting. Which has been, you know, has been a, an interesting process for the three of us as collaborators. And I think it was quite nerve wracking for them for it to go to festivals and for it to go, for them to let it go beyond their, you know, reality, because yeah. film has got its own life. Um, but actually, I think it's been quite liberating as well. But it is important to all of us that the audience knows that it was their initiative and their invitation, that it wasn't me saying to them, can I make a film on and about you two? Yeah. They said, can you capture something about us? So I've woven fictional and real. I've woven their real stories with the fictional characters. So it's, it's a kind of poetic portrait, I'd say. And, 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 and it sounds, within that poetic portrait, it sounds very revealing, exposing, and perhaps even a little raw, maybe, in terms of... It is that. raw in places, but it's also... Very funny, if I do say oh, so. That's a surprise. <laughs> I definitely have to see this. <laughs> yeah, you do. I'll send you a link. Thank you. It's very warm, you know, yeah. it's with love and they are, and the audience falls in love with them as people. Oh. It's, they really do. Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds absolutely wonderful. Mm. Um, I just wanted to ask a couple of last questions. Um, I appreciate that it's late and you did just tell me that uh, you have your seven-year-old son who's um, probably wondering what his mum's doing chatting <laughs> into the computer at 10 o'clock at night in France. <laughs> so um, just in terms of this enormous, as you say, over 25 years of embodiment almost in terms of um, your experience and this journey that you've been on that is quite unique. Um, how do you, or do you, um, think about the legacy um, that you leave behind? And um, obviously you've got a, a long time within your career but and the legacy is, is growing, um, you know, evolving over those 25 years and will continue, no doubt, for the next 25 years. Mm. But there's your unique experience of, you know, the lecturing and um, I saw the subject matter that you lecture on, on experimental anatomy into, into contemporary technique and choreography performance and teaching practice. Your mm. teaching experience, your creation, your film, um, all of these uh, experiences that is so full, how do you, and thinking about film, how do you capture all of this so that we never, we never, we never lose this and it gets passed on? Yes, um, I think, um, I think this sort of sense of this responsibility and also um, opportunity is something that has become more conscious for me in the last couple of years. Um, and why ultimately I applied to be the artistic co-director of Kanduko. I think um, I've really enjoyed the kind of, the ver rich and varied mix that's made up my dance career. You know, I've enjoyed, you know, my performing feeds, my teaching feeds, my choreographic work feeds my, um, as it does with all dance artists, I think. And I, I do also, I'm very, very aware that, you know, in a way, yes, of course, my path is unique, as is everybody's. You know, we all have a very particular path and we're made up of a very particular, you know, combination of experiences and opportunities and struggles and 
mm. um, failings as well as achievements, you know. And and so I really don't see myself as separate or different from anybody else in that way. And I'm only where I am because of all the people that I've had the opportunity to work with. And I really mean that. I mean, I'm so affected. Um, it's like an imprint, you know, we imprint it. We, we know we carry imprints of each other. Um, so, but I think maybe as I approach 45 this week, um, yeah, I do think I've had, I do have a lot of experience as artists do of my age and I do want to share it. And I do want to do my part in terms of, sharing that experience or helping to shape or shift our understanding of what's possible or I want to continue to learn and to be challenged you know um, I want to be in an environment where I can ask questions and and be questioned um, I want to continue to grow artistically and we are in a different culture now. I mean, even speaking to some of the disabled artists in the company recently, you know, one of them said to me the other day, every single time she steps on stage, she said she's so aware of all of those that have gone before her that make it possible for her to be there. And how she really feels a responsibility to do everything that she can to, to uh, you know, to open the path for those that follow. Yeah. And I was very struck by this. Um, and I thought, wow, have I been so conscious of that as a non-disabled? Mm. And I don't think we had that sense in the early days quite. It was more that we were just loving what we were doing and we were, you know, wanted to share it. Um, whereas now we, we do have a history and we do have a responsibility and we do have a long way to go. So, yeah, I know of what we can do to help shift the ecology of dance as it as it develops yeah. yeah absolutely well i wanted to ask you um finally on on that note and it's interesting that you talk about um one of the current artists and how they feel in terms of their responsibility to those who have gone before but also will follow mm. in their past what advice would you give to other aspiring dancers, particularly aspiring disabled dancers, who would like a career in dance. Do you have any words that you would like to pass on? I know that's probably putting you on the, on the spot. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, these things always sound so... Well, I risk sounding very hippie here. <laughs> I think, you know listening to your body <laughs> is is key as a dancer and and actually just as a person i think that's a huge anchor that helps you to continue to learn from you know your environment your it helps you to navigate the challenges of being a dance artist and it also keeps you connected to your own creative voice when you're trying to negotiate the demands and different languages that you, you know, that dancers have to navigate. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's okay. I know it's a, it's a, diff it's a difficult one. Um, I just think, you know, with such a, you know, you're very inspiring and I know that, uh, any, any words of advice or inspiration for perhaps young disabled dancers or family members of disabled aspiring dancers listening? Um, I just would love them to feel uh, and will be inspired by the words which um, you give even about listening to 
their own body, which is um, really important. And although it seems very simple, it is really, really great advice, I think. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think, I think you, you mentioned the word inspiring. I think that is the key. I think I, I feel inspired and I have been continually. And I think that's probably one of the top tips I would give to have the courage to put yourself in an environment where you feel inspired, mm. you know, to, to go out and see work, you know, search for work, make connections with people, take opportunities that come your way, you know, have the courage to, yeah, to follow the opportunities that arise and, and put, yeah, put yourself in an environment where you feel inspired and then you can catch that energy and nurture it because it is challenging. And, but I really do believe that dance is going to be richer for all of our different contributions. So we, you know, we need to keep doing what we do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And Kanduko has three shows left in the UK. So check out the website for dates and venues. Um, visit kanduko.co.uk. And for listeners out there who are interested in um, training, the company also has um, a, a school. Would that be the right way to describe it? Um, we're, we're doing an international lab in the summer. Um, for dance artists from all over and we offer regular dancer development days and um, artists are very yes we offer workshops in all you know in a number of different contexts so just to check out our website or contact us we'll be really happy to direct you great stuff thank you so much Charlotte don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.